Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Lord, we thank you for all the good things you give us, Lord. We thank you for um, the offerings that we have received. And Lord, we pray that you would watch over um, us and that you would multiply your gifts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm super, super excited. This could be a very long um, next year of going through Mark, or it could be really cool. So we will see how it goes. But um, we are going to spend like the next year going through Mark. And I'm really excited about it because um, when people really learn about what it means to be a disciple, really cool things happen. When people start to learn about what Jesus did and what the disciples did um, because of Jesus and because Jesus, what Jesus taught them, amazing things happen. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we start walking in the Spirit and we start living in the Spirit and we start doing what Jesus told us to do, really cool things can start happening. And so we're going to be spending, like I said, like the next year going through um, uh, it's, it's called Covered in Dust. I just said a series on the Gospel of Mark. Um, the series is actually called Covered in Dust because if you look at um, some of the Jewish sayings, one of them is, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, which essentially means you should follow your rabbi, follow your teacher so closely that you're like covered in his dust. So you should just be uh, following him every day, walking through um, life with him. And being in Midland, I think we all know a little bit about dust, Right? especially when you looked at the skyline this afternoon. Um, we all know a little bit about dust here. And so we're going to be learning what it means to be covered in the dust of Jesus, to follow him so closely that we are covered in his dust. So for tonight, I'm just going to be focusing on an intro in the first 11 verses. And so let's start off with the first slide. Um, well, let's start off with the reading. <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Okay, so um, you can't see everything on the map very well, but that is Palestine. And so uh, the Palestinian region uh, Jesus traveled all over the place, but he never really left the Jewish area much. Uh, especially in the Gospel of Mark, what we see is him traveling around the Jewish area. So you have Lower Judea down there, um, and then you have all the way up into Galilee, he would travel up there. 
The Decapolis is kind of an interesting area made up of um, Gentiles, so people that are not Jewish. And so you'll see throughout this gospel as we go through it, he's ministering primarily to the Jewish people, but there is some time, like a couple of moments where he actually does, it's actually my favorite uh, chapter, chapter 5, he does interact with people that are not Jewish, and it's interesting the interactions he has in that particular chapter, if you know uh, which one that is. Let's go to the next slide. So the author is Peter, most likely. Um, according to hi- history, Peter wrote this gospel through Mark. So he literally, what we call dictation. So he told uh, Mark what to write down, and then Mark would write it. And so it's a gospel according to Mark, but in reality, it's actually Peter um, who most likely wrote it. And we have that from a lot of the early church fathers saying that they received it through, um, from Peter, through Mark, and through... Um, and so we have the date, which is 53 through 55 AD from um, Rome. So this is most likely written while Peter and Mark were in Rome. Recipients were uh, Italians, so people that were in the Roman um, area of Italy, and uh, Gentiles, so all people that are not Jewish. You'll find moments where Mark almost takes a second to explain things or put things in uh, a more active light rather than describing genealogies and Jewish rites and ceremonies. He spends a lot more time just getting to the action, what's going on, which is kind of fun uh, about this. Um, and the theme uh, is the universal call to discipleship. So the, the main theme of Mark is you are called to be a disciple. And um, we see that in the apostles, and we can almost step into their shoes and walk with them as they walk with Jesus, which is super cool. And so um, there's a cool little icon of Mark there. So I don't know what we have next for the slide. Do we have another slide? So we have the first point. Um, So one of the cool things I like to tell people when I'm teaching them Mark is, Mark is almost like the comic book of the New Testament. Like if you were to take a comic book hero, think of like Thor, or think of like some of your favorite guys in Avengers, or any of those movies that a lot of us love to watch, right? Um, Jesus is depicted almost like that. And when uh, the, uh, the missionaries went up into like Norse areas and Germanic areas where men were men, right? Like men were big, tough, Thor-like people, right? They didn't picture Jesus as this wimpy little guy dying on a cross. When they talked about Jesus, they talked about Jesus as like a heroic victor warrior who conquers death, who conquers demons, right? So when you get into Mark, it's a perfect gospel. This is the kind of gospel that they would use to do missions with, because um, it's a great gospel to show that Jesus isn't wimpy, Jesus isn't feminine, Jesus isn't a hippie, right? Jesus is like a man. He's a man's man, he's tough, and he's casting out demons, he's stopping storms, he's doing stuff that, you know, he's raising people from the dead. He's not, he's not just any Joe Schmo. he is the Lord of the universe, right? And so as we get through Mark, you will see that. And um, one of the things I love about being an army chaplain, too, is you know, if I was going to pick any gospel to share with soldiers, it would be Mark. It's about 14 chapters, pretty short, and it has some really cool points to show soldiers about who Jesus is. So let's just start off with this first point. Um, if, so if you have one of these, if you didn't grab one, um, you can raise your hand. We'll get one to you. My wife will grab some for you. If you don't have one, I uh, highly recommend you, get, you grab one because this will be kind of what we lead through in the next 11 verses. Um, So Jesus' public ministry had been uh, long foretold. So it's interesting that, and this starts off, it says, as it is written in uh, Isaiah the prophet, this is actually a a combo prophecy. Uh, It's not just Isaiah, it's actually Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3. 
So it's pretty cool that it's actually two uh, verses from the Old Testament combined. And what this is showing is that John the Baptist was foretold, but not just John the Baptist, but Jesus is being foretold. It's, it's really cool. Um, if you look uh, at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I have that in the third bullet point in your, in your outline here, um, even in the, like, the very first beginning of the Bible, even the very first few uh, chapters of the Bible, Jesus is already being prophesied. So when you read this book, it's not just Jesus in the New Testament, Jewish people in the Old Testament. This entire book is about Jesus. This entire book points to Jesus. And so Genesis chapter 3, you have prophecy already pointing to, to Jesus when it talks about the, 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 um, the descendant of Mary, the, the seed of Mary crushing the serpent's head, right? And him striking the seed, the, the, the seed of the woman's heel. Uh, that's already a prophecy about Jesus crushing the serpent, crushing Satan under his feet. The prophets all look forward to Jesus. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. God had a plan to send Jesus before creation. We see that in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 20. So we already see from the very beginning, from even before God created everything, he already knew that we needed a Savior. He already knew because he knows all things, he knows the future, he already knew to send Jesus. So this brings us to our second point, which focuses in on verses 4 through 8. John the Baptist is the greatest prophet of all, but he points ahead to the Savior who is even greater than himself. So we see John, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of, of sins, and all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John uses baptism as a symbol for people to confess their sins through repentance and turn from the world to follow God. And so John is this really interesting character, right? He, he looks a lot like what you would expect a prophet to look like. If you look in the Old Testament, they're kind of wandering around, living in caves, wearing uh, weird clothes, eating weird stuff, because they are not part of the world. They have said, no, I'm going to follow God, even if it makes me look like a lunatic. I'm going to be doing weird stuff in order to communicate important messages, <laughs> uh, in order to show people that they need to leave the world and follow Jesus. And so the cool thing is, John is out there, he's in, he's in the wilderness, right? And he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. So Jesus continues this, mis uh, this missionary call to repentance. So you see, as soon as, uh, Jesus get, or as soon as John gets arrested, Jesus begins proclaiming the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, repent. And so this idea of repentance, though, I think sometimes you give it a bad rap, like, oh, you know, preacher man just wants to get you to have, like, a super boring life, but... <laughs> In reality, what repentance is, it's a call to freedom. Repentance is a call to lay aside the things that are t entangling you, weighing you down. That's why we start off with, re with uh, confession every time we start the service. It's because we want to lay down all the things that are entangling us, all the things that are weighing us down, so that we can live the most abundant, full life that God has called us to. And so John is doing the same thing here, and people are responding. It's not just, a, it's not just five people, it's not just ten people. It says, 
Now, John, uh, after me comes, no, um, verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It says, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem. Now, I don't think everybody in Jerusalem was going because obviously King Herod wasn't there. Obviously, you didn't have um, the Pharisees and all the priests there because, you know, it's not everybody. But when he says all, he's making a reference saying, there's a lot of people out there. There's like the whole city. It's like saying, like the whole city was out there. That's basically what's going on. There's a lot of people. And they're excited because they know that when, um, they, they, know that when they follow Jesus, or not Jesus yet, when they follow God, um, they're going to be experiencing a new kingdom. They're going to be experiencing um, a new freedom in Christ. Aaron, can you run out there real quick? Thank you. Um, so... Just saw our pizzas here. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, all distracted. All right. So Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest of all prophets, but John recognizes that he is lower than a servant in comparison to Jesus. So when a Jewish man would have friends over, right? I had, if I had my, my buddies over for, you know, to watch, they didn't have football back then. I don't know what Jewish people did for fun, I guess. You know, it wasn't football. Maybe reading the scriptures. Okay, so they're sitting around reading the scriptures, although that would probably just be in synagogue. But anyways, they're coming over for a meal. Everybody ate. Okay, so the people who come over, they're going to have a meal. And do you know what the role of the, the head guy was? It would be to sit at the table with everyone, to entertain them, to ta- tell stories, to talk, to be, to be friendly. And then he would have his servant, who may have been a Gentile or a, a Jewish person that was in servitude to him, kind of like working at a very low level, come and wash their feet for them, to, to take their sandals off. And so with this, what, what's happening is... Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm so distracted. <laughs> I'm so excited for pizza, guys. You have no idea. All right, so he would stoop down and untie the sandals. Well, Jesus, we see, he does the same thing during the Passover, right? When they're getting together for their dinner. But it would be considered a very low thing. So what John is saying here, I'm not even worthy. Like, I'm, I'm lower than a servant in a household. I'm lower than anybody would be in a household who has to clean feet. Like, I'm not even worthy to clean his feet. Like, to take off his sandals and to clean his feet. So Jesus' baptism... Um, yes, Jesus' baptism supersedes John's baptism. So this is important to see that when John baptized people, it wasn't the same baptism, because this is what happens. We see verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is important because when John baptized people, it was a baptism of repentance. It's a, kind of like a purification, right, as the Jewish people would have understood it. They're purifying themselves, getting ready for the coming of the Messiah. Right? They're like, we're fed up with the Roman Empire, we're fed up with these corrupt political rulers, we're fed up with the system, and we want to follow God. We want the new kingdom. And so they're going out, getting purified, getting ready for the Messiah to come. And so what, what they're doing here is um, they are getting ready for that, but John says, you know, I'm just doing this in a material way, right? I'm just pouring water over you. You're making a profession of faith to, to confess your sins, to follow God. But what Jesus is going to do is he's not going to only wash you with water. He's going to wash you with the Holy Spirit. So this is a big deal. This, this Holy Spirit washing is what we receive today. Now, like when we get baptized, we're going to be having some baptisms this Sunday. 
super exciting, um, is when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are filled, you are cleansed, and it's not just removal of dirt from the body, but it's like a, a, it is a clear conscience toward God. And so, really exciting that John is preparing this way, and that's all about Advent, guys. When somebody says Advent to you, they're basically saying arrival. We're getting ready for the arrival. And so what these people are doing, they're doing an Advent thing. They're getting ready for the Messiah to come. That's why they're getting baptized. And so this brings us to our third point. Jesus' uh, commission as the Savior comes from the greatest of all the prophets and God himself. So this is verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so, this is so cool. I love this, um, the, the idea here immediately. So you'll see this over and over again as we go through this book. The term immediately is used often just to show like this thing happened and then that thing happened and then that thing happened. Like Jesus is on a roll here. He did like a lot of stuff in three years, casting out demons, calming storms. I mean, he was on a roll in these three years. And so when Mark depicts this, it's immediate. Like I'm going to cast out a demon. I'm going to heal somebody. I'm going to raise somebody from the dead. Like things are going on, and so that's the way it's depicted. It's just like a comic book. It's it's happening, right? Anyways, and so in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Galilee, was baptized, and um, was baptized in the in by John in the Jordan. So Jesus, um, well, let's just go here for the first verse. All the prophets point to Jesus with the culmination of John the Baptist as the greatest of them all. So John is baptizing, and Jesus says that he's the greatest prophet of all time. Jesus is the last Old Testament prophet because he was born before Jesus, right? And so Jesus' birth starts, starts the um, incarnation, which leads to the covenant of his blood, which leads to the New Testament, right? The new covenant, right? So John is born before Jesus, which means he is technically an Old Testament prophet and the greatest of all Old Testament prophets. And so he, he, he ushers in the way for Jesus. The greatest prophet points to Jesus. And the second point, God the Father speaks, God the Holy Spirit descends from heaven and giving God the Son, Jesus, the Trinitarian stamp of approval. And so when I say Trinitarian, what I mean is you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together in one place, and God the Father is giving Jesus the stamp of approval. He's saying, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus is sent out with all the prophets, God himself. So I can't imagine anyone having more authority and a better commission than Jesus Christ. Baptism was Jesus' opportunity to associate himself with the sinner and is now our opportunity to associate ourselves with Jesus, to associate ourselves with the Savior. And so when Jesus got baptized, he said, may it be done to fulfill all righteousness, right? And so when he entered into baptism, he prepared the way for us to enter into baptism, to share with him in his righteousness. He shares with us in, in death so that we can share with him in his righteousness. He dies and he descends into death so that we can die and descend in, or ascend into life, right? And so we follow this pattern with Jesus, which is super, super exciting. And so the last point here, 
Peter and Mark, sorry, not last point. <laughs> That's the bottom line. This is the last uh, bullet point. Peter and Mark are likely showing that Jesus' kingship is superior to the kingship of the emperor of Rome. One thing I didn't say at the beginning of this in the intro is that this was written around the same time as Nero burning Rome. This is written around the same time that, Jesus, that, um, that the, the Christians who had started, started their churches all over the place, they were living in Rome, right? And they were hiding in catacombs. They were being rounded up. They were being killed. They were even being set on fire, like dipped in tar, put up on a cross and set on fire as a, as a message to anyone who would stand against Nero. And so one of the greatest things about the Gospel of Mark is it's written during this time when the Christians need a Savior. The Christians need a hope. You know, Christians today, we have it pretty rough right now, right? We have to wear masks to church, you know. And, and we, have, we have to worry a little bit about COVID, right? But we don't have it like these Christians. We don't have tar being poured on us. We don't have us... You know, our friends and family getting rounded up and thrown into the Colosseum to, be an eight, to get eaten by animals, right? Like, it is not as bad as it was at this time. And the cool thing about this, this last bullet point that I said, what, what Mark is doing, what Peter is doing with Mark's uh, dictation is to say, Jesus is greater than Nero. Jesus is greater than any political ruler. Jesus is greater than Herod. Jesus is greater than any problem you'll face. And so I want you to take that home with you tonight, is that all the things that you're facing right now, the things that are stealing your, your Christmas joy, your Advent joy, right? The things that are making life a little less joyful at the moment, be joyful. Jesus has come in the flesh to redeem the world, to save you, and to be the good king, the good righteous ruler that we need so badly right now. So this is our bottom line. John's ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus, and Jesus' ministry is to prepare us for the kingdom. John's ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus, and Jesus' ministry is to prepare us for the kingdom. If you haven't committed your life to following Jesus, if you've gone to church you know, for years and years, or if you've never really you know, made that decision to follow Christ, to commit yourself to him and his kingdom, I'd encourage you to do so. You're never going to find a good, perfect ruler. You're never going to find the joy of Christmas. You're never going to enjoy all the things that you can have until you fully receive Jesus as Savior. And if you've never been baptized, I'd welcome you to baptism because you're never going to enjoy the full benefits of, of this, this wonderful blessing that we have in Christ until we do what he asked us to do. He said, he told us to be baptized. He told the apostles to go and to make disciples, baptizing them. So I'd encourage you, commit yourself to the true Messiah, the true King, the true Savior, and be baptized in a spiritually, but also physically if you've never done so. And that's all I have for us tonight. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your message. I thank you for the call to repentance. I thank you for your word to us with John the Baptist preparing the way and you making, um, preparing a kingdom for us. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts. I pray that you would renew our minds. I pray that you would transform us into your likeness so that we may follow you more and more each day of our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.